Are you ready to invest in yourself today? Welcome to the Wealth Builders Podcast. Where investment leader Billy Epperhart teaches you how to build wealth through applied biblical wisdom. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 8.18, Remember the Lord, your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. At Wealth Builders, our goal is to teach you how to build wealth through applied biblical wisdom in your finances, your business, and your investments. Now, let's join Billy Epperhart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wealth Builders Podcast. On behalf of Billy and Becky Epperhart, we're just so glad that you joined us, and we've got a real treat for you today. We're going to be going over some real estate questions that came up at our recent real estate workshop that we didn't have time to answer. And I've got a really special guest with us today. We've got Frank Pulley, who many of you know uh, from Wealth Builders as one of our coaches. Uh, who also works with Bill Bronchek, and I'm just really excited about sharing some current market information and answering those questions that so many people have in real estate today. So, Frank, welcome. Thank you very much, Karen. Well, we know that Billy and Becky created Wealth Builders. We're so grateful for what they're providing uh, for us personally. We've grown, and for the people that are listening and they're all about making sense of making money for making a difference. And real estate is their favorite way to invest. I know it's our favorite way to invest. And so the opportunity to really go through and answer these questions is a great one. I know I always learn from you, Frank. And I always think too, if someone's got a question, there's you know hundreds, thousands of people out there that have the same question. So let's go ahead and get started. This question is from DJ Fall, and he says this, I've been Googling some random home prices, household incomes. What does it mean for an investor when it says home prices are trending down year over year? DJ, thank you for asking my question. That's a real good one. You know, right now, there are certain pockets of the United States where home prices might be turning down a little bit, especially in an area that has not been, you know, brought up to date that has higher crime rates, you know, and it then it continues to go downhill. But honestly, in most cases, you're going to see home prices trending upwards. Now, trending doesn't mean the bottom has just dropped out of the market. It means they're slowly going down. The great thing is if you buy a property now and they trend down in two or three years, you're still safe because you got a ton of equity in that in that property. Karen, what do you what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that, Frank. That's great. And I was actually super surprised to see this in this market. I'd like to know where this market is that it's trending down and really dig into the indicators of that. For example, is there a business that maybe left an area that there's a lot of unemployment? Uh, is there high crime? Um, you know, what is happening in this area? And we do talk a lot about, and you, you mentioned this, like rental rates are going to continue to go up. And so as long as we look at cash flow with things, that's going to be a good indicator and also being aware of, uh, you know, what's going on that's causing this. But, you know, most of what we're seeing is that things are trending up year over year and almost at record pace. And this might be a good time too to just answer the question, Frank, you know, what is happening with home values? 
We saw a peak, I think it was over 16%. You just sent me a great PowerPoint that we're going to be reviewing on Saturday with the um, coaching clients about what we can expect, what we've seen in the last year and what can we expect? Can you just comment on that? Yeah, I mean, only the Lord knows what next year will bring, but I've been doing a lot of research for that. And although we had 16%, they're thinking that it may be more in line with 7% this year. And that's still a healthy return mm -hmm. on your investment, I will tell you. Well, it is. And we talk a lot on this podcast in, in our workshops about the unprecedented interest rates that we're experiencing right now that actually gives us that opportunity to get into a property with a low fixed cost. Uh, just looking, knowing, of course, we have to cash flow and knowing that we're going to see increase in rental rates. And we can see that from history. There just really hasn't been a dip in rental rates. There's a dip once in a while in values that pops back up. But uh, it's, I think it's a real opportunity yet out there. Frank, do you see that too? Absolutely, I do. Because of the fact that rental rates, no matter what the economy, tend to uh, you know continue to go up. And there becomes a bigger spread between your monthly payment, if you bought at a good price, and what you're collecting. And that's only going to get better with time. That's great. One of the questions we get frequently is about financing. And this came in from Gary and Kimberly Waters. Uh, it's a great question. They ask, how do you find private funding? Are there any websites out there that we can locate? Well, that's a great question. And I appreciate you asking that. Private funding uh, is, you know, outside of the box from, you know, going through banks. It's normally a little higher and a little higher interest rate and maybe you pay up upfront points. But in the long run, it's a lot cheaper than bringing in a 50-50 partner. Best way to find these is your local real estate investing organization. They can guide you because most of these private lenders are state specific. You can also Google, you know, private money lending in, uh, you know, Colorado or whatever, and then make sure you check uh, their, uh, their ratings to make sure that, you know, they're, they're the good guys. I'll tell you some good news about private funding is more people are doing it now and it's a lot cheaper than it used to be even five or six years ago. So competition drives it down just a little bit. So under the right circumstances, it provides an investor a great opportunity to be able to get a, a property in a project where they might not be able to before with conventional funding. That's great. You know, we hear the term hard money lending and it really is not a great term <laughs> in my opinion. It's got a lot of negative connotation. But I have worked with people that when they've run the numbers and like you described, it's better sometimes than bringing in a partner and uh, that it has worked really well. And to the surprise of me and others, there's some very solid hard money lenders out there that are not the typical, you know, I guess, imagination or like the connotation that we have, we have tagged to that term. So can you give people a little guidance on some of the things that they should really watch for, maybe even avoid with hard money lenders if they go this route? Yeah, well, first of all, most hard money lenders, although your credit is important, they're really looking at the deal. So first of all, I would look at what points they charge up front and points means percentages. And for example, a hundred thousand dollar house with four points, you would put $4,000 up front. That does not go 
towards your the purchase of the home. That's an upfront cost. Some hard money lenders will charge inspection fees and origination fees, and, and some don't. Some of them will uh, charge maybe 1% per month, which is 12% per year, or some will go as high as 18% per year. Um, you wanna make sure you're prepared when you approach a private money lender. Have a biography of yourself, a list of your experience, who your team members are, and then the numbers on the project. And make sure you back those up. You want some solid comps, and you want a solid estimate of how much money it's gonna take to fix that property up, and uh, all that sort of thing. See, most people approach a private money lender and just kinda, you know, it's almost like uh, they wrote the numbers on a napkin. You wanna be more professional than that. But again, they do count your credit, but they're really looking at the profitability of the deal. They just wanna make sure they get paid. That's great. You know, I worked with uh, a guy, I talk about him a lot. I learned so much from him when I was staging homes in a real estate agent in Colorado Springs who did oh, a lot of flips, maybe 50 flips a year, something like that. And he had a hard money lender around the table. And what I mean by that is, is part of his team, that was a key position that he had around the table. And so um, I think this is something you really encouraged me just in this discussion to really start to interview some people that uh, can do some funding. There are times that it makes sense. And I do appreciate too that you're letting us know what to watch for. And it's really all about the numbers and bringing those calculations to make sure that when you're coming out on the other side of it, you're in a position that you are, of course, making money on the real estate. Thank you. You're welcome. Here's a question that's from Sunny Arul, and this is a question. Do you have any recommendations on the age threshold of the house one should consider purchasing, given the increase in maintenance cost and risks involved? Well, I mean, I prefer like uh, 70s on up. At 1978, most properties quit using asbestos. Although, you know, if you're around 78, 79, 80, you probably should test for it. But honestly, in good neighborhoods, I think 50s and 60s homes that are pretty solid are, are a good buy. Those are in neighborhoods that, are, uh, that tend to attract renters and uh, they're decent neighborhoods. Um, I like the, like the 50s or 60s brick house because that doesn't take a lot of exterior maintenance. And uh, you just need to keep all of your costs in mind. You know, what are you going to need to do? You might have to bring the electrical up to up to speed, up to code. Um, if you're going to be breaking into walls and that sort of thing, you know, you're going to have to look at possibly asbestos, you know, the age of the furnace, all of those things. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, I don't really recommend a, a, a number, a date, mm -hmm. uh, just because if you figure all your numbers from the get-go and add in about 10% for surprises, I think you're gonna be good to go. And honestly, there are a lot of experienced investors that do really well with the early 1900s to the 1940s homes, but I don't advise that on your first couple of deals. That's great, Frank. I know we, we've picked up some properties that are in that 60s and uh, there's some parts of that. Wow, we you know pulled the sheetrock off and look at the studs, they are solid. So there are some really good benefits to that, but, but you're absolutely right. That HVAC, that's where your inspection comes in. 
And um, with that, I think people have a question too, like how long can you expect a furnace to work before replaced? Because it might be working when people buy it, but how long does a furnace usually last? Well, I'll give you Bill Bronchick's lawyer answer. It depends. Depends on the type <laughs> and quality of the of the furnace. Your home inspector will say if it's over five years old that repair or replace. Um, but I've seen furnaces over 30 years old that are, are running just fine. That being said, I would probably plan on 10 years as a useful life on a furnace because they're getting so energy efficient anymore that uh, you're, you're at some point in time going to want to upgrade to a better model. That's great. Thank you, Frank. All right. We've got time for one more question. I just want to let our audience know, too, that we're doing another session with uh, these questions next week. And we've got Mike Davis that's joining us as well. Uh, and this is just such great content. Frank, thank you so much for being a part of this. I know it's really helping people to tackle some of these questions that they're like, yeah, I wondered about that too. So here is one. This is a great question. This is from Angela. And it is this, is it advisable to enter into a partnership with a friend in the early stages of a property journey and what are the pitfalls? Well, I think if you've got a project with a friend that goes south, if you're not having Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, that might work. I'm just kidding. You know, it's, it's a two-edged <laughs> sword. Um, I prefer not because most of my friends don't really appreciate the real estate thing. Now, Bill Bronchick, we partnered on some things. I would go into partnership with him in a minute and he's a good friend. But I think you need to try and partner with somebody that has the things you don't have. And in early in the game, what don't you have? Well, you don't have a lot of contacts. You don't, you know, know a team like, you know, inspectors, contractors, things like that. You don't have the experience. And if you bring a partner on that has these things and you do a lot of the legwork, you know, that can work out really well. You know, as far as the pitfalls, I mean, as far as pitfalls, most partnership problems are caused by lack of or miscommunication. So, you know, you have to really watch it. But friends, uh, if they're like-minded and experienced in real estate, maybe. But like I say, I think I think I would not ruin a friendship, a good lifetime friendship over a deal. That's great. Oh my goodness, Frank. And that's where getting perspective on what we're willing to risk, but also I think this laying out the ground rules, and I'll just add this uh, to that is you can kind of tell a little bit about people that might be good. You might absolutely love them, but if there is a tendency uh, to get emotional or something to watch for, or Maybe if something doesn't go quite right, how have you weathered those things in the past? But laying things out clearly so that there is a document. I used to say this in banking, like, let's get things written out. So then if we have to have a discussion about something, it's not about you and I, it's about the document, right? Because it's something that we agreed upon. So I think what you're advising is, you know, be, be cautious yes. with this. It's possible, but just make sure that you've got that structure, understanding, and really seek the Lord before yeah. you step into something like that, right? Have good paperwork, too. But seriously, you can't do this on a wing and a prayer or a handshake because somebody forgets some, what somebody said, and all of a sudden you have a mess, and maybe you have an ex-friend where you really lost a good friend. 
Yeah, that's great. Wow, so many things to consider in uh, real estate uh, in such an exciting time for us to be looking at investing. So I want to thank you all for joining us today in the Wealth Builders podcast and just remind you of a couple things that Billy and Becky have put so much content out there. They've invested the time that they've spent, the decades that they've spent in real estate investing and just uh, life in general to pass along to us. So uh, check it out at wealthbuilders.org. There's a lot of free blogs, a lot of free information. Also, a lot of Billy's content is out there on his YouTube channel. And we have invested and launched Wealth Builders University. And it was really on Billy and Becky, Becky's heart to provide some more in-depth training for people that maybe couldn't come to an event or a workshop or maybe isn't able to be in the coaching program. And so uh, you can check out Wealth Builders University at wbuniversity dot online and you get uh, all the videos Frank's in there I'm in there of course Billy's in there Bill Bronchek Dan Dyer Mike Davis um, all different topics and you can watch the video you can download the PowerPoint in any templates and I think it is the best deal out there so again wbuniversity.online okay thank you so much Frank for joining us and thank you yeah, everybody for being a part of this Wealth Builders podcast. God bless you. We hope you learned something of lasting value today from this Wealth Builders podcast. If you'd like any tools, teachings, or resources mentioned in the podcast, you'll find them online at wealthbuilders.org. Wealth Builders exists to teach you how to build wealth through applied biblical wisdom in your finances, your business, and your investments. Wealth Builders podcast is produced by Celine Williams with music by Audio Jungle and narration by Greg Hunter. Wealth Builders is a nonprofit organization. We depend on your donations to keep this podcast running. Please consider donating to us on wealthbuilders.org.